This evening, 1 John 4, 4, we've been teaching a, a, for a few weeks on the Holy Ghost, the greater one in us. John said in 1 John 4, 4, he said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The ones he's referring to is, uh, are the works of the devil in the earth. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, we've looked at uh, some things regarding the work of the Holy Ghost. We see that Jesus told his disciples on the last night that he was with them, the same night he was betrayed and uh, taken to the cross and the events surrounding the cross. Jesus said the Spirit of, of God, the Holy Spirit, he called him the Spirit of Truth. He said he would be in us and dwell with us. We see that that, uh, was, a, 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 that was very specific language that he used in talking about the dual work of the Holy Spirit. The first work of the Holy Spirit is in salvation, to recreate us, make us that new creature, a new creation in Him, in Christ Jesus, and deposit the life of God within us. The second work of the Holy Spirit is to be filled or baptized in the Spirit of God with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And that was what Jesus said would result in power. Now, uh, I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament Ezekiel chapter 36 and Ezekiel chapter 11. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll read them to you. Ezekiel 36 verse 25, he speaks of the work of the Holy Ghost in this way. He said, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness and all of your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit yet. That's the, uh, the recreated human spirit. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He's talking about the new birth. And then in verse 27, he tells us what happens once we're born again and receive the life of God. He said, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. The work of the Holy Ghost is identified through the Old Testament prophecies and fulfilled in the, in the work that Jesus uh, completed on the cross, the resurrection and such. The work of the Holy Ghost is identified as a creative work and then an indwelling. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 4, verse 24. He's talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He, said, he told the lady that had come to draw water at the well, the water that I give you shall be a a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So he's talking about a work of the Holy Ghost that's personal. It's something that re results in the work of God in the new birth or making Jesus the Lord of our lives. And then in John chapter 7, verse 37, he talks about the second work of the Holy Ghost. It says, in that day, the great day of the feast, Jesus said with a loud voice, let all that are thirsty come unto me and drink, and out of his belly whose innermost being shall flow rivers of living water so he used the holy ghost or used water as a type of the holy ghost for both the new birth and then also the infilling or the baptism of the spirit of god look with me also to ezekiel chapter 11 let me read some things that the old testament told us the prophets told us that was uh, to come that we could look forward to uh, concerning the work of jesus verse 19 it says and i will give them one heart and i will put a new spirit within you and I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. 
and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 5, Paul talks about the love of God that's deposited in our hearts at the new birth, given to us by the Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the, by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. And he's talking about that as a result of salvation, as a result of eternal life. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, this is a, uh, I know this is simple. It's easy to see, but I don't think we oftentimes look very long, or look very uh, diligently at what the work of the Holy Ghost is in the new birth. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus is equating life, eternal life, with the deposit of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. Now, we've been doing a lot of talking about and teaching on Sunday mornings on the subject of righteousness. In that study, we've, uh, we've seen very clearly what the Bible says about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, how that they were born of or re literally created by the handiwork of God, and then he breathed his spirit into their bodies, and they became living souls or living beings. In that state of righteousness, in that condition where the life of God is their very being, is the essence of their being, they had only one command to keep, and that was to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, for the day that you shall eat therein, you shall surely die. The Bible tells us that when they died spiritually, they didn't die physically for 900 and some odd years after, but when they died spiritually, their spirit was estranged or separated from God. Did you notice in these prophecies that Ezekiel gave us, each one of them talks about a new heart? I'll put a new heart within you, and then I'll put my spirit within you. That new heart is the conquering of spiritual death. See, when man was found guilty of his sin, disobedience in the Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us death began to reign over all mankind. Spiritual death, not physical death, but spiritual death. And spiritual death is the issue for all of the world. There are two kinds of people, those that are spiritually alive and those that are spiritually dead. Spiritual death means to be separated from God. God had to do something about the spiritual death problem. And that's what the shedding of Jesus' blood is all about. It wasn't a matter of doing good works. It wasn't a matter of making yourself acceptable unto God. It came down to one simple thing, and that is God had to find a way and it's not like he discovered this. This was his plan before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. But God had to, had to provide a way for man to get out from under the grip and the bondage of spiritual death. The Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were yet ungodly. He died for those that were spiritually dead. He didn't die for anybody that deserved it because nobody deserved it because we were all dead. But he died for the ungodly. Now, when Jesus was approached in John chapter 3 by Nicodemus, turn with me over there, if you will. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came unto Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus was convinced of Jesus' origin, or at least the fact that God was with him on his side and helping him to do his work here on the earth because of the miracles that he saw. 
Now, what is Nicodemus's question? There's no overt question, but there's got to be one that's implied. What is this question? Is he just making a statement of fact? Boy, we know God's with you. Well, then what's he coming under cover of darkness for? What's he approaching Jesus for in the way that he did? Clearly so that the other Pharisees and other part of the, the Jewish religious leaders that he was one of, he obviously wanted to keep that quiet from them. He wanted his meeting with Jesus to be unknown. Why? What's he asking? Master, we know that thou art come from God because nobody can do these miracles except God be with him. Nobody can do the stuff you're doing unless God's with him. What's his question? Is his question, how are you doing this stuff? Well, he's already got the answer for that. God's with him. I don't think he knows what his question is. I think he came to Jesus going, wow, nobody's ever done the stuff you do. And Jesus, independent of Nicodemus and perhaps his confusion or lack of knowledge, Jesus brings him to the most important thing. Jesus says, and it has to be connected with miracles, it has to be connected with the power of God that's demonstrated in Jesus' life. Jesus answers and says unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's got to be talking about the things we just read in Ezekiel's prophecies. About God taking the old stony heart out of us, putting a new spirit within us, and then putting his spirit in our spirits. He has to be talking about that, doesn't he? I mean, if that's not what being born again is, what is it? So look at the progression that the Old Testament gives us that Jesus summarizes as being born again. He takes away the old spiritually dead man on the inside of us. He recreates our spirit, puts a new spirit on the inside, and then he puts his spirit in us. Now, how in the world can he do all that without man dying physically? I have no idea. It's got to be faster than the blink of an eye because there's no suspension of life until, you know, you repent, your life is suspended, and then you come to Jesus, you're born again. This is all a seamless operation. Now, what kind of power is available in the new birth or takes place at the new birth to be able to make that happen in the way that it does? Once we have the Holy Ghost in us through the new birth, that's not the end of the story. We see five times in the New Testament where those who were saved were then filled with the Holy Ghost afterwards. There's one time in uh, Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' house that they got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. But every other example is somebody that got saved first and then at a later date filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that that's what happened with the disciples. In John chapter 20, Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. But at that point in time, Mary Magdalene was the only one that had seen him. And they weren't all real convinced, weren't terribly convinced. Verse 19 of John chapter 20, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them 
and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now what did they receive? If they didn't receive anything, then Jesus has tricked them. They had to have received something. What happened? This is where the, the disciples, well, everybody except Thomas. This is where the, the 11, minus Thomas and minus Judas, who's hanged himself. This is where the disciples were born again. This is where they were born again. Now, Luke chapter 24, verse 52, one of the last verses in, uh, in Luke's account, talks about how the disciples had met Jesus after his resurrection, and then he was departed from them. And then they went back into Jerusalem and were openly in the temple, worshiping and praising God. Something happened to change these guys. Here in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says very specifically that they were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jews. They're not afraid anymore. Well, that would stand to reason, wouldn't it? That when you encounter the Holy Ghost, just the very presence and life of God itself, overcomes fear they were filled with great joy the Bible says and they were openly in the temple worshiping and praising God they're not afraid of being found out by the Jews anymore now they know Jesus is alive they know that Jesus is living they know that he's fulfilling the promises that he's made to them a lot of them I'm sure they don't yet understand but then Jesus before he left says something in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 he says but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other, uttermost part of the earth. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Writing to the church in Corinth that had received the same experience as the disciples did when they waited in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost to be poured out with the promise of power. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 says, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Paul's writing some things about that experience. And it, in my thinking, you judge this for yourself, but there has to be controversy or ignorance, maybe both, about being filled with the Spirit of God and speaking with other tongues. Because he writes to give them information about its value. He writes to give them information about how it should operate in the church. And he tells them things that he assumes, or maybe is sure of, that they don't know. Think about this for a minute, folks. You know that God is a God of order, and you know that God is a God of uh, a complete God. He doesn't leave anything undone. But how are these guys supposed to learn what the value of being filled with the Holy Ghost is and how to operate in these things. It's not like Jesus had a class before he went to the cross. And I want you to, to, to well, I want you to understand that Jesus knew very well that it would be the Holy Ghost on the inside of the, his church, his followers, 
that taught us the value and the scope of what we received. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Jesus didn't stop and say, now the power is going to do this, and it's going to do this, and it's going to do this. He didn't say you'll receive power in nine different ways. They'll come to be known as the manifestations of the Spirit or gifts of the Spirit. Three of them are for revelation, three of them are for power, and three of them for utterance. Jesus left the work of building the church, which he said he would do. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He left that work of building the church up to the Holy Ghost to reveal it to his children. Now, has the Holy Ghost changed? Is he different now than he was on the day of Pentecost? Is he different now than, than when Paul wrote to the Corinthians trying to straighten things out? Help them and encourage them by teaching them what it's worth and what it does and so forth? Has the Holy Ghost changed in any, any way whatsoever? Remember one of the things Jesus said. He said, I'll give you the spirit of truth and he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. The first job of the Holy Ghost in the early church was to be a teacher. To teach them what they have. Because you know as well as I do, the whole Christian walk is a discovery process of what we have in him. Wouldn't it be nice if we got born again and all of a sudden our minds were renewed to the word instantly and completely. And we knew everything there was to know in a moment of time. I'd like that. But that's not the way it works, is it? We find out little by little. Even the things that we think we know about the word, those things are revealed and unveiled to us. And we come to the realization and wonder what in the world were we believing and doing before now, before we saw this. Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. I like Weymouth's translation on this verse. He says, howbeit in the spirit, he speaks divine secrets. So notice what he's saying. He's saying that when you and I speak in other tongues, it's our spirit praying. It's our spirit communicating with God. One of the great blessings, benefits, and, and one of the greatest value points of all of the scripture is to tell us, to inform us, that speaking with other tongues is a direct means and a divine means of communication directly between your spirit and God. Now some might say, well, is that worth anything? Must be, God provided it. How did Paul find that out? He didn't have an Old Testament prophecy to go to other than Isaiah chapter 11 where it says, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto, these, unto this people. That's all they knew in the Old Testament about tongues, uh, speaking in tongues that was yet to come. And I doubt if stammering lips in another tongue really meant anything to them before the, before the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts chapter 2. What are stammering lips? What's another tongue? But it became clear on the day of Pentecost, didn't it? Look at verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4. But he that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself or builds himself up. We've used the example of charging a battery, which is a good picture of what this means. 
to charge yourself or empower yourself spiritually. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Notice speaking in other tongues is a means of spiritual edification or spiritual power. Now, is that what Jesus meant in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most part of the earth. Well, that's not the power that we have referenced in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, they get filled with the Holy Ghost and they speak with other tongues. And then Peter preaches to the crowd that gathers, wondering what's going on. Thousands of people get saved on that day. I think it was 3,000 people that got saved on that day. And then it tells us in Acts chapter 3, we don't know how long ago or how much time has passed between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. But we assume it's a short period of time where Peter and John go through the gate that's called the beautiful gate of the temple. Find a man that's crippled there. Minister to him by the power in the name of Jesus. And gets him completely healed. Is that the power he's talking about? Is that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 power that's revealed in Acts chapter 3. At the beautiful gate of the temple. Is that what this is referring to in 1 Corinthians 14 4? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Folks, the fact that the Holy Ghost is involved and is the cleansing agent, the recreating agent in the new birth for the purpose of bringing us to God shows us that there's a dual work of the Holy Ghost, or maybe we should say it this way, a private side to the work of the Holy Ghost and a public side of the work of the Holy Ghost. He that, speaketh, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself or spiritually empowers himself. What does that mean? Does that mean we speak in tongues and then go lay hands on the sick and they recover? Is that what it means? Does it mean that we speak in tongues and go produce miracles? Is that what he's talking about? Paul doesn't seem to have any indication when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to explain the value of speaking in tongues and the operation of speaking in tongues, particularly where the church is concerned, he doesn't give any indication whatsoever that he's talking about the use of the power of the Holy Ghost for ministry purposes. Does he? Well, then what is the power that is made available to us by speaking in other tongues for the purpose of edifying or charging ourselves up spiritually? Have you ever known God to do things in a big uh, in a big way, a big splash, um, drawing attention to himself. Isn't that a rare thing? It's a very rare thing that God will draw attention to himself, but instead will work behind the scenes. Let me say it this way. God's a lot more into the, spe into the supernatural than he is the spectacular. Isn't he? Now, Acts chapter 3 was certainly a spectacular operation where the man at the beautiful gate was healed crippled man was healed and there are certainly things like that that become spectacular in our eyes but when Paul is talking about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 speaking divine secrets with God and edifying or spiritually charging yourself he's not talking about spectacular works he's talking about the help of the Holy Ghost in our everyday lives to charge ourselves up spiritually how does that work it usually works undercover 
He usually works in an unseen manner. See, if the Holy Ghost is going to guide you into all truth, he's going to lead you in the realm of righteousness. He's going to lead you toward a righteous life. We need the help of the Holy Ghost for that, don't we? I sure do. Don't you? So how does it work? When we speak in other tongues, when we charge ourselves up spiritually, when we give the opportunity to the Holy Ghost to do the work that he's sent to do, remember Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. I will not leave you comfortless. One of the great comforting works of the Holy Ghost is to empower you day by day to handle whatever life throws at you. Whatever temptations come, your, come at you. One of the things that I found in my Christian walk is that the more time I spend praying in other tongues, the easier it is to overcome the obstacles that appear in front of us. It's not a matter of, and I don't know that this has ever happened to me. I would assume it would be the same with you too. I don't know of a time when I've ever prayed in other tongues and came from that experience feeling stronger that's the way we like it let's just be honest we'd like to speak in other tongues and immediately feel the the, the power the strength or whatever that comes from it i think a lot of times we in the body of christ choose to think there's no scriptural evidence for it but choose to think that speaking in other tongues provides spiritual power to us so that lightning bolts will flash from our fingers wouldn't that be cool We'd know who was and who wasn't, wouldn't we? Wouldn't be any trouble finding out who was God's then. But that's what I was talking about before. God very rarely does things in a spectacular way. He does them undercover. He does them in an unseen manner. But he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He builds himself up. He charges himself like a battery. I want you to notice one other thing. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 16. Many of our friends in the body of Christ that do not believe in speaking with tongues or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or whatever the case might be really have a hard time with this even to the point of trying to say that this part of the scripture wasn't supported in the original text. That was a a story that was told for many, many years, decades that Mark 16, particularly the last part of Mark 16, was added, they said, by somebody else that tampered with the writings to, to prove a point that they wanted to be true. That theory was blown out of the water when they found, archaeologists found transcripts, pieces of transcripts that predated all the other transcripts that had been discovered. And Mark chapter 16 was a part of the fragments that they found. Jesus said, Unto his disciples go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now notice he's not talking about ministers. He didn't say these signs will follow those that are called to the ministry. This belongs to believers. This belongs to every Christian. He didn't even say, and these signs shall follow some believers. 
He's making a blanket statement for what God expects from all of his children. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, exercising authority over the devil. They shall speak with new tongues. That's got to be the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They shall take up serpents, divine protection, also referring to exercising authority over the devil in his kingdom. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. There's divine protection again. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These are the signs that should be known of the church. Again, I'll remind you of John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He said, Master, we know that you come from God because nobody can do this stuff except that you do except God be with them. Jesus is telling us that these are the signs that, that should cause people and will cause people to know who we are. These signs shall follow them that believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall take up serpents. They shall cast out devils, exercising authority over the devil. They shall speak with new tongues. Now, Jesus never spoke with new tongues, did he? The Bible tells us that tongues and interpretation is, are manifestations of the Spirit that are distinctive for this age. What I mean by that is you can find seven of the nine manifestations of the Spirit that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 all throughout the Old Testament. Working of miracles was part of the Old Testament work of God. Discerning of spirits was part of the Old Testament work of God. But there's two of them. Tongues and interpretation with tongues that you can't ever find before the church was born. It's distinctive for the church. I wonder if that has to do with why the devil throws up such a fuss about it. Why there's such a controversy about tongues throughout the body of Christ today. There's not a controversy about being filled with the Spirit. People just assume that, they, that, the, that the phrase can mean anything they want it to mean and say they've got it. But tongues, speaking with other tongues, is the only thing that the New Testament gives us as proof or evidence, the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. I grew up with hearing people saying all kinds of things about speaking in tongues. Grew up in a Baptist church. My mother got filled with the Holy Ghost, and then somebody told me that what she had was of the devil. Well, she had had it for a couple of months by then, and I could see that it was making her a better believer, a better Christian. Which was also something that was intriguing. How can you get something from the devil that makes you a better Christian? That didn't make sense to me. I knew immediately they had no clue what they were talking about. So I've had people say, I'm sure you've heard it as well. I've had some people say, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. I just don't speak with other tongues. Not everybody, they say, will speak with other tongues. But you can be filled with the Holy Ghost or filled with the Spirit of God without speaking in other tongues. Nobody did in the early days of the church in the writings that were left for us to understand how God works in this world. But instead, every time that the book of Acts tells us about an individual or a group of people that were filled with the Spirit, they all spoke with other tongues. Well, then why would we expect to have something different than they had? There's not two churches. The early church is not one church and the later or present-day church another church. Both the early days of the church and the modern days of the church 
are a part of the church age. So it wouldn't make sense for us to have something other than what they had. We certainly have the same new birth experiences the early days of the church had. We have the same evidence of that new birth experiences they had. Why would anybody assume we'd have different evidence or a different work of the Holy Ghost when we're filled today? Doesn't make sense. Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Now think about that. Exercising authority over the devil. Well, that's always going to be a necessary thing for the church. It's what Jesus purchased for us with his blood. Divine protection is going to be necessary for us today. Referred to in taking up serpents and drinking any deadly thing. Laying hands on the sick and manifesting the healing power of God is an important thing for the church. It was important in Jesus' ministry, and he made sure to include that in the work of the, the church that he bought and paid for. And then right in the middle of it, it says they'll speak with new tongues. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll speak with new tongues. Why did he place such a priority on that? Because it's the only way you and I are going to have the power to be the kind of people that Jesus died for us to be. It's the only way that we'll access the power of God to overcome the devil in our individual lives and then minister the goodness of God to others to set them free. It's the only way. He that speaks in an unknown tongue, speaketh in an unknown tongue, edifies himself. He strengthens himself spiritually. When we get busy, when we get distracted, when life encroaches upon our, the things that we want to do, and we have to take care of the things that we have to do, that's one of the first things that goes from a believer's routine. We don't spend the time speaking in other tongues like we should. Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Well, if he spoke in tongues more than the Corinthian bunch, he must have gone to bed speaking in tongues and woke up speaking in tongues and spoke in tongues all of his waking hours between because they were speaking in other tongues during the church services in such a way that it was causing the church to have a bad name in the town. People were starting to say, these folks are crazy. All they do is speak in other tongues. And Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. wonder how Paul learned that. wonder how Paul learned what the value of speaking in other tongues was, if not through his own experience. Is it possible that the more he spoke in other tongues, the more he recognized that he had spiritual strength, an endowment of power for whatever was coming down the road? Well, if he didn't learn it from his own experience, where did he learn it? Well, Paul, was, Paul had these things revealed to him by Jesus himself. Okay, I'm, I'm all on board with that. But if Jesus revealed to him that speaking in tongues was the secret to spiritual strength, what do you think he would do to that information? I suppose that Paul would have used it any time and all the time. Do we do the same thing? 
we're sure supposed to. We are certainly supposed to. One of the things that the Bible says in Jude verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost, all those are interchangeable terms. Inspires faith. It doesn't bring you faith. It doesn't give you faith that you didn't have before. But it inspires your faith. It stimulates your faith. The more you spend time speaking in other tongues, the stronger and stronger and stronger you get. It won't do, with the, uh, do away with all the doubts that the enemy brings to your mind. But it strengthens you to stand against them and to overcome them. What did John mean when he wrote to the church? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Talking about the power of the devil. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How did Paul, or I'm sorry, how did John expect the church to utilize that greater one on the inside of them if not through the same things that Paul had written to the church, the same ways that Paul had written to the church about speaking in tongues? You know what's sad? And this is really the bottom line for me. What's really sad is how few people that are filled with the Spirit really utilize it like God wants them to. And like I said, it's the easiest thing to slip away from your schedule, from, uh, from the things that you want to take care of when you get distracted or get busy or whatever the case might be. Knowing that, the devil's going to try to keep you so busy you don't have time to think about speaking in tongues. It's going to be something that we make a priority if it's going to happen in our lives. We're the ones who going to have to decide. I've got this supernatural person living on the inside of me. I'm going to utilize that by speaking in tongues. You know, of all the uh, religions, all the theories, and all the philosophies, and all the things that are here on the earth, put here on the earth by the devil to try to distract people and get them going down the wrong path, Christianity is the only thing, the only thing that offers anyone the opportunity to have God living on the inside of them. Islam is about pleasing Allah so that you get something in the hereafter. Buddhism is about attaining some higher form of consciousness. Whatever that is. Every world religion, every philosophy offers you something, some benefit because of what you do. But nothing else offers you the life of God on the inside. Nothing else offers you God's presence and God's strength and therefore his help from within other than Christianity. That's why Christianity is not about rules. It's not about programs. It's not about do this, don't do that, keep my commandments, and so forth. Jesus couldn't have made the commandments any easier. Believe in him and walk in love. And then he's the one that gives us the love to walk in, according to Romans 5.5. 5. Christianity is a relationship. And there's no greater way to strengthen that relationship than by speaking in tongues. The Bible says when you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks well 
The Bible says when you speak in tongues, you're magnifying God. Now, God can't get any bigger from his perspective, but he can sure get bigger from ours. He can become bigger to us, in other words. And you can't spend any time at all speaking in other tongues without being conscious of another one on the inside of you. The one called the Holy Spirit. That in itself becomes a strength to separate yourself from the world and the things of the world. Because you're constantly reminded that he's there to give you utterance every time you utilize it and speak forth. You've got the greater one on the inside of you. Too often, I think, people read 1 John 4, 4 and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? The greater one's on the inside of us. And then do absolutely nothing to utilize him in their lives. Oh, we've got the greater one. Yes. Been filled with the Spirit for 20 years. We've got the greater one. Well, what's he doing in there? Wouldn't it be rude to invite somebody into your living room and then not sit down and spend time with them? I think that's the way it is with a lot of people in their Christian lives. They're filled with the Spirit. He's there acting as a perfect gentleman, available and ready to be used or ready to help. He is called the helper, but ignored by the very people that wanted him to come on the inside of them. We need to be better than that. Don't you agree? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He strengthens himself spiritually. He strengthens himself spiritually. What a precious gift. The Holy Ghost is. And he's given to the children of God, not to the world. He's given to us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for filling us with the Spirit of God. We thank you for bringing to us, providing for us a means and a method for spiritual strength. We thank you, Father, that that spiritual strength will enable us to overcome all the work of the enemy. To stop the devil in his operations against us. To walk in victory through the circumstances and the situations and the adversities of life. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher. We thank you for teaching us, guiding us into all truth, into all reality. We thank you for the revelation work that you do on the inside of each and every one of us. Revealing God's plan and purpose for our lives. Revealing his plan and purpose for the children of God all over, all over this world. We thank you for the divine means of communication. The opportunity that we have to pray divine secrets. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Forgive us for when we've ignored you. We're better than that. And we should do better than that. Oh, precious Holy Spirit, guide us. 
direct us. Help us. According to God's plan and purpose. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you always give us utterance to speak or to pray according to the perfect will of God. Our will is set aside when we speak those things that you give us utterance to say. What a precious, precious gift you are, Holy Spirit. We yield ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to you. Thank you for your strength. The very resurrection power of God that quickens our mortal bodies, that builds us spiritually, that equips us for the work God has us to do, that makes us victorious in every area of life. We love you, Father. We thank you for the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank him for all that he's done for us. Father, we love you. We worship you. We magnify your name. Holy Spirit, we count you as our helper, our comforter, our strengthener, our standby, our advocate, our intercessor. We thank you that you teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance that Jesus said to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for strengthening us with the resurrection power of God. That no matter what situation we encounter, no matter what difficulty rises up against us, we walk through it victoriously by the power of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. For the privilege to be counted as believers. In Jesus' name. Say it with me. The greater one lives in me. I put him to work every time I speak in other tongues. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.